Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. All right, I'm sitting down this week with uh, an esteemed guest, um, one of my uh, one of my closest friends throughout college, um, Karin Ray Notstein, of Norwegian descent, but of American flavor. Um, we went to like like a lot of the guests. We went to Emerson College together, and um, we actually worked in IT together because we had to make cash money, but. Um, but your your focus was most. I remember like you being like, "I'm a producer," and it was actually a whole bunch of bullshit. What? Well, what do you mean bullshit? <laughs> oh, was, you didn't really want to be a producer. You just kind of like relegated yourself to that. Well, I figured because I realized that everyone else at Emerson wanted to do their own thing, and nobody wanted to listen to anyone else and and their ideas. So everyone's just like, "Hey, I was the film genius at my high school. Listen to my ideas," and then nobody really took the time to like sit down and think, oh, there actually has to be practical things done to make these stupid student films work. Yeah, besides so. just chucking money. But so, yeah. so uh, brilliant high school filmmakers. Um, <laughs> if we yeah. go back into so, so start with, I kind of want to do your superhero origin. If we start, you were born in which country of the two? I was, I was born in the United States. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, but your your mother was Norwegian. Yes, my mother's Norwegian and my dad's Pennsylvania Dutch. Pennsylvania Dutch. So you're just yes, this like very combination right there. A lot of genetic variation. Um, yes. And you uh, you kind of but you went back and forth between the two countries for a long time. Yeah, the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. Um, and you became. If I, I kind of want to talk about the hip dysplasia because I think it kind of. I think it enters into this to some degree. I don't think it does. I'm glad that you took notice of that. You so, know, ta- so, so for, the, for anybody who has a dog, probably knows what hip dysplasia is. <laughs> but for those who don't, describe what it is. Um, hip dysplasia. Well, it's basically. Um, I think like two out of ten kids have it in the world. Two out of uh, ten. I think it's something like that. Like I mean, don't fi- don't quote me on that. One but, fifth uh, of all children. Basically, uh. babies are born and their hip joints aren't fully developed. And every single baby is supposed to be checked for this. Um, and if they have hip dysplasia, you just throw on like this weird plaster diaper for like a couple months and then mm. it fixes itself. It's like a brace kind of. Yeah, like a brace. Um, but that didn't happen to me. So when they found out I had hip dysplasia, it was too late. And I ended up having to go through multiple um really serious surgeries throughout my childhood and teenage years so i was immobile for quite some time i was in a body cast for about altogether i've been in a body cast for about a year of my life and wheelchairs and uh, all types of stuff throughout high school and you'd think that that would make my high school experience kind of like turn me into a dork or you know somebody that wasn't cool <laughs> but you were more like a crippled mobster it didn't hold me back it was fine so it, no sad stories here i don't want anyone to feel like oh my god um but yeah so i spent a lot of time immobile which is probably the 
what you wanted to bring up, maybe. Yeah. Because I would sit and watch movies all the time. Yeah, that's basically where it started. Because when everyone was out playing soccer or field hockey or whatnot, um, I'd be watching movies and The X-Files over and over. And the X-Files. So The X-Files was a big piece of this. You didn't know that? I, I knew you were a big fan, but I didn't realize, like, not a lot of people are like, I went into movies once I saw The X-Files. No, I just really wanted to make things. It wasn't like, oh, my God, this changed my life. It was more like. But you loved storytelling or you started to fall in love with storytelling around that point. Yeah, at a very early age. I think it started when I was about six. I mean, for those who like, we should stress what a body cast is. I mean, it sounds it doesn't it's it sounds it's self-explanatory, rough. isn't it? Like the whole body is in a cast. Like well, except, for, except for the arms. But yeah, the entire body. Wow. So the hip, the hip really, I know this has nothing to do with filmmaking, but the hip really affects the entire body like that? Well, yeah, it's one of the bendy parts. I mean... If you don't got hips, you got nothing. Nope. <laughs> you not, ain't got shit. Yeah, you're pretty screwed if you don't have functional hips. But um, it worked out. I'm, I'm kind of walking now. Um, yeah. <laughs> You've been walking for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, so you're like, you're watching X-Files, you're watching movies, you're, you're liking movies, but when do you, not everybody, lots of people like movies, lots of people like TV shows. Not everybody makes the transition from, I don't want to be entertained anymore. I want to do the entertaining. What, when does that start and what, what inspires it? Um, I think I'm not exactly sure when it started, but the older I got, uh, the more I would, uh, take notice of flaws in film and that would actually bother me more than entertain me if you know what I mean I would just be like oh are you kidding me I could do that better and I'm eight yeah and I just kind of turned into this cocky little shit who's like oh I still Hollywood needs me (laughs) but isn't that isn't that something that a lot of I mean I think like all kinds of aspiring artists have is the element of I could do that like when you when you cross into like you when you see behind the curtain a little bit and you go, oh, if that's all it is, I can do that. And these people are fucking it up. Well, yeah, I guess I guess maybe I just felt even stronger. I guess I just well, I mean, it was the the very um, strong critical sense I had mixed with. Also, I just really wanted to impress people, to be honest. I wanted to so a little bit people- of attention, like, yeah, look, look, you look know, at me, I look how cute attention. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I we, we all do. I mean, that's a huge that was something that was a, a George Carlin quote that, you know, he people would be like, why do you do what you do? And here's like a brilliant guy. And yeah. he'd walk, he'd be like, honestly, it all started with ain't I cute. And, it started with what? You know, asking people, ain't I cute? Oh. <laughs> and that was kind of what where a lot of it started. The snowball started rolling. So what's the what age are, do you actually put together your first film or your first video? Um, I think I was 12. So you're 12, you have a camera. Yeah, I had this horrible Hi8 camera. Didn't we all? Did you have the means to edit it or what was, how did you actually? No, no, I, I edited it through my VCR. So tape to tape? Yes. So for the young people who listen to this, and there are a few, <laughs> what the fuck is tape to tape? Why don't you take that one, Frankie? <laughs> so you can take a big long draw on that T. Um, yes. <laughs> tape to tape, I think I described it in one of the earlier ones, was this... Um, this painful, ridiculous process of of sixty um, nine two VCRs, <laughs> and uh, whoa, and then um, basically one of them is one of them is going to have all the tapes with all your raw footage, and you're going to queue up to where you want your your in and out points, which is like the you know where you want it to start cutting in and where you want it to go out, 
and then you dub that little bit. You play back that little bit and record it onto a separate VCR with a separate tape, and that's your master. And if you fuck it up, if you want to go back and change anything, it's all it's literally linear editing. You have to go back and do it all over again, get all, collect all those tapes. It was just a painful caveman way of doing things. Way, way worse than, like, they talk about, uh, you know, film editing, right, where you have, you have, like, a the very olden days where you had, like, a Steenbeck and you coil the film around basically big, large discs. You play it back against the light. And when you want to do a cut, you actually find it on the film strip. You cut it and you paste it. That's essentially what you're doing. In fi- you never did that? No, I never did that. I didn't, I didn't do film. I did TV video because I was smart. Is that a smart thing to do? Yes. Why? Anyone who <laughs> went TV video will tell you the same thing. No, I don't know. It's just because the whole the whole film is dead. You have to be rich and have rich parents to go film. Like, do TV video. You just buy tapes. It's fine. Don't worry about it. If you recall, I still worked in a lot of film at Emerson. I just did FPS, Women in Motion, um, other... I produced some uh, film twos and film threes. So I still, like, got exposure to film, and it wasn't a problem. It just was cheaper and easier, and I didn't have to do what you just explained, which... <laughs> I'm sure it's excruciating. It was kind of fun though, because I mean, it's 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 definitely like um, there's not a lot of reason to do it, except for maybe a little like um, hipster cachet. It's a film. I'm handling film. This is what Scorsese did. Yeah, it's Ooh. a little it's a little hipster cachet, but the, it's one of those things where like someday I do want to be a film instructor, and I don't know that I would require that people go through that process. And yet, having gone through it, I'm I'm glad I did because it's an, it's an interesting experience I'll never have. And it really does. You can actually see what Final Cut and Avid are are emulating. You know, in the software, they're basically just doing that. It's it, That is non-linear linear editing. It's all mm-hmm. better than tape to tape. I think we can all admit that. Yeah, let's agree on that. So you, sure. so, so you did a... This tape to tape thing. Did you were you one of these kids like me that was like um, so fucking hell bent on finishing this project that like you would literally sit there for days on end trying to. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't do anything else. I was obsessed. And the did the parents start to take note of the note of this or. Not really. (laughs) It's like, oh, she's over by the TV again. Oh, she loves watching TV. And I'm like, you have no idea. (laughs) Someone's like tighten that body cast. (laughs) (laughs) Rack that thing up. Um, yep. Did you, what about friends? Like, so do, do you shoot this with friends? Do you, or is it all, is it like the one? I didn't, really, woman I didn't like have people I did projects with, but I would like bother all of my friends and make them do stuff. Um, or like film them from afar. I didn't really have, when I, the first films were just <laughs> like me fucking around with the camera. Like so you I didn't passively write vol- a script. I didn't like have a casting call or anything like that. Like I just, I don't know. I just really wanted to capture stuff on film and then or tape and see what I could do with it. Like I, I wanted to create stuff. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, it sounds like I'm trying to be romantic, but I'm not, I think it's kind of stupid to like recatch all these things, but discount film school is a judgmentless place. This okay. is, the, 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 this is what... what anyone's going to think. But the <laughs> thing is like, I don't really have warm feelings about these memories. Like I kind of just realized that I wanted to, make stuff and watch people make people watch it. That's basically what it was like, Ooh, what if I actually captured something really hilarious or I did something really hilarious that people think I'm funny. Yeah. But isn't that, isn't that an exciting time of discovery of like, you're saying like you have absolutely no nostalgia for it. And yet, isn't that where you start to realize whether or not this is something you can do? I guess. I mean, you know what, to be honest, I think when I realized I wanted, because when I went to Emerson, I wanted to write, that was like my whole thing. 
so I so, just I just wanted to write screenplays. So lead us in then. So so you're you're starting to make stuff. You have a I start to make stuff, and I'm not really that technically equipped, um, uh, you know, intelligently. And um, I watched Freaks and Geeks. Okay, you've seen Freaks and Geeks, yeah? I, yes, I'm extremely familiar. And I mean, I, I was already really into all types of movies, and I watched Freaks and Geeks, and I like became absolutely obsessed with the show, like mm. completely, like way more obsessed than I was with The Simpsons or X Files or anything. And it would air uh, on Norwegian television at 3 p.m. on Saturdays. It was called McKinley High, <laughs> and we watched it. Yeah. What? Nobody how how it. is that pronounced? How is that said in Norwegian? McKinley High. Just that. Okay. You yeah, just, just say that. it. You just say it with the Swedish Chef uh, accent. That's all you there's do. No, there's no umlau, or there's nothing fancy here, Frankie. Okay. <laughs> um, is but, the umlau uh, that z- that O with the cross through it? No, actually, umlau is German. It's the U with the dots, and we we don't do that. Well, you should. I'm just I'm just adjusting to what Americans might think. Anyway, so so I watch that. I tape it on my v- VHS um, every Saturday, and I watch the episode like two times a day until the next week when it would air again. Like, I was just really obsessed with it. And then I, re- I just decided, okay, I need to go to film school and write something like this. Like, that was, that was basically when I decided. That's, and I found Emerson, like, five months later. Was it because um, you were like, I, lo- I love this so much, that's why I have to do it? Or was yeah, it like I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I thought it was hilarious. Or, I or was it more like it was accessible? Like, oh, this, is, this speaks to me. This relates to me on a certain level that, that, you know, I thought I couldn't write before, and now I think I can. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't that advanced. Right. It wasn't like 24. Like it wasn't, it was just, I don't know. I just really, really loved it so much. And I thought the contrast between, you know, the freaks and the geeks and and everything was really lame. Like nobody was cool in it. There was nothing that you really envied. You were just kind of like, oh, that's, that's sad and really funny. Kind of the the portrait of a bunch of unattractive people at an an awkward time. They were totally attractive, but I well, mean, I one. know who my favorite was, was Bill Haberchuk, Martin Starr's character. Yes. I was obsessed with him. Everyone's like, and, and it's Seth Rogen after him, but I like was in love with Martin Starr for a really long time. And my friends were all like, James Franco. And I was like, no. Anyway. Isn't Bill the, he, the tall geek? Yeah. Martin Starr. He's yeah. the, the one glasses. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I, yeah, I think I applied to Emerson like a year after that. Um, and, and so you're live, but you're living in Norway when you're making this discovery. Now you're like, I guess I'm gonna go uh, go to college in the states. But see, it's unclear to me because you're jumping back and forth. You know, were, was it always the plan to go to college in the states? Yes, that was always the plan. I had no idea what I wanted to do, though. I mean, I knew I wanted to do film inside myself, but um, all that mattered to me, other than that, was just to get to America had- and like go to college. Like I didn't really think about my studies until after I saw McKinley high. <laughs> yes. That's when I decided I should go to film school, but McKinley her. Is it common for, uh, for Norwegian, Norwegian citizens to have that same mindset or was it's it only, common. it is yeah. common. It's all because of film. Norwegian, a lot of Norwegian youths are very obsessed with American culture. Um, at least my generation, mm. you know, with, with all the movies. So it, you think that the reason they're obsessed with American culture, though, is because they are because media is being exported to that side of the world yeah. from. Yeah, America. it's like the, that's what everyone watches here. I mean, it's, it's changing now. But when I was when I was a teenager and like 
before my teens, it was all American shows, American movies, American music. When I was in Australia uh, and I saw, you know, I'm on the other end of the world. Like I couldn't possibly like take a longer flight across the world. And I'm seeing all these bus, all these bus ads and all these, you know, billboards for the same exact movies I just was having advertised to me two days before the flight. I'm like, you know, if I, I feel like if I was Australian, I might be wrong, but I feel like if I was a citizen of another country, I'd sort of resent this. I'd be like, uh, like, why are you controlling our language, our media, our entertainment um, just because your economy is booming or because you're the center of it? It seems like in Norway, uh, anyway, they embrace it and they're like, wow, that's the place to be. I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for all Norwegians. There are plenty of Norwegians who are very anti-America. Mm. It's not like everyone's running around all crazy, like, oh, I need to get a cheerleading outfit and, you know. Are there no cheerleaders in Norway? Is that the issue? No, there aren't. But I was much, much more into the whole American culture thing than anyone I knew because I was born and raised in America, but I kind of got torn away from it in a delicate part of my life where I constantly wanted to get back to America. Yeah, you felt, so, like, you felt like you were sort of, uh, you know, something was disrupted there. Yeah, exactly. Like I, so I'd watch stupid shows like Seventh Heaven and get all depressed. Like that should be my life. Uh, like I'm stuck in Norway, even though Norway is the best place in the world to live, and everything's fucking perfect here. But I was just obs- I was in this little like crazy uh, after school special torture chamber in my brain. Like I just needed to get back to the states, and I did. I went to high school in Rhode Island, and then I applied for for Emerson after that. So I actually saw Freaks and Geeks after my high school year in Rhode Island. Oh, so you went to high school in, in Newport, Rhode Island, and then you went to you went back to Norway for a year and then came to college? Yeah, and then I, I applied. So that's why you're a year older than me. Okay, now it all makes sense. Yeah. Um so you 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 now you've now you're in film school. You must be in fucking Nirvana at this point. I was I you have no idea. You saw me. I was very, very, very happy when I got in Emerson. I think I was actually the last person to get accepted out of our entire class. And the last one to graduate. <laughs> no, I think there were other people who took longer than me. Really? Okay. Thanks for pointing that out. No, I just, I like the poetry of it, that you loved it so much that you, <laughs> th- th- there's, there's something kind of nice there. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if I had to stick around another semester, but I'm, I'm glad I dodged the bullet. Look, for the record, it was math. And as she already pointed out, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that, that's not why she came to college. She came to college yeah. for filmmaking. None yeah, of us came math. to Emerson for math. I mean, just for the record, Emerson's a school that gives you a four-year bachelor's degree. And normally, it, it's a liberal arts degree, which means that you have to be somewhat interdisciplinary. You have to at least, you know, like m- most schools to get a bachelor's degree, you need to do math, ethics, uh, you know, whatever else, some science. But you can wave out of the math and science so easily by either uh, getting a certain score in your SATs or by taking four years in high school. And um, it sounds like you just hated it so much even in high school. Oh, I hated it. Yeah. I, but the thing is, I took – when I went to Rhode Island or to Newport uh, – what was it called? Rogers High School in Newport. I actually had enough credits to already graduate from high school, but I wanted to make friends. So my counselor was like, you can just take a couple classes and screw around and, you know, you can get to meet people. So I decided to take a math class and I was supposed to get a pass or a fail. And somehow my papers got mixed up and it turns out I was going to get a grade in that class anyway. And I never, ever went to it. Like I didn't show up once. Well, I did. I actually showed up twice, to be completely honest. Mm. 
and I got a D. And that screwed me at Emerson because if I had gotten a C, I would have gotten out of math at Emerson. To the, so, bitter, to the bitter end, though. But now, now yeah. it's completely behind you. The, uh, it, it's funny how the stresses of like math credits, are, <laughs> they dissipate so Frankie, quickly. For, just so everyone knows, Frankie saw me have a complete meltdown. <laughs> about this math like I seriously I was on suicide watch like I thought my life was over because I had to take this class and I also ended up never going to it and then the last week of school they're like hey you you never really took this class even though you're signed up for it you're not going to graduate and I was going to lose my scholarship I'd already booked my ticket to LA I'd found an apartment Mm. everything so I couldn't even go and take the class again I had to teach myself the entire statistics course by myself. So I went to Norway and I just went out to our country cabin and locked myself in this cabin for like a month, just freaking out. But I learned it. I remember you were here and then you went to Norway. You did that and you came back. Um, It was like it was like in Rocky three, like when he (laughs) he loses the first fight and then he has to get trained by Apollo and then he wins in like the third round. But um, really? In any event, uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. When you get to, so you're uh, 18, 19. No, you're probably 19 when you come to Emerson. Yeah, and I was 19. what's like the what, what's some of the first stuff you get involved in in terms of uh, either extracurriculars or filmmaking? What do you really want to like? You're happy, but what do you want to sink your teeth into? I I was at that point to be honest, I was just so uh, enthralled by or just like absorbed completely by uh, the whole college experience. I didn't really do anything extracurricular the first semester. I kind of just like took my classes and then just tried to meet people. Then I realized towards the end of the first semester, like, okay, I got to do stuff. Like Mm. I can't just, you know, take uh, expository writing and then go and drink illegally at the bar. Mm -hmm. Like I need to actually do stuff. You were getting kind of caught up in uh, the excitement maybe. Yeah. So I started FPS that the first, like the first week of school, the next semester, 2005. So, yeah. So spring. FPS was, was this club, um, that the school sold extremely hard during their tours and whatnot. It was kind of a, it, because it was funded by the school It was basically student projects that the school would put money towards, but yeah, like, were, I think like up to $10,000 per project. Yeah. And so if you listen to the only, the only catch was if you listen to the episode with Greg Hansen, he talks yeah. about how they required that like everybody that joined the club because it's funded by the school, every single person that joined the club has to be involved in the production. So you would end up with these bloated yeah. ass productions with way more people than necessary because everybody's ultimately is trying, it's trying I to get still- everybody in education. Oh my God. I remember there were like eight PAs yeah. on the first project. Yeah. And they never made anything good, obviously, but it, it, you know, it, that's not, that wasn't that really was the point. One, there was one good one. Dave Horowitz starred in it. Um, it's called Manchester. Nate Larkin Connolly, I believe, wrote it. That's that's a good one. I always my my favorite um thing about like film school, which like at the time I had a total chip on my shoulder about, and now I look back on and I crack up, is in like a sort of um, shall we say, an insecure ecosystem of artists, <laughs> in Wait, which that's what you would define FPS as. I would define the the, the idea of film school as an in. Oh. Okay. An ecosystem oh. of insecure artists because everybody's going there. Even the, I mean, you know, I used to be like, oh, fucking rich kids. But even the rich kids are like, is this a good idea? Should I be here? Should I be doing it? Like, am I any good at this? Um, yeah. But nobody can admit that to one another. So 
um, uh, you know, a club, like it was, it was called FPS I mean, frames per second was the cutesy little name for it in a, in a situation like that, it becomes this kind of melting pot of, uh, of freaked out people, but like small film school celebrities rise out of it. So suddenly like, um, like if somebody could shoot a halfway competent looking movie, they became like the celebrity DP of the school. Yeah. 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 And, and like, they sought after. Yeah. So just until next semester rolls around, everyone's going to want you to DP their film three, even though you're a sophomore. Salads were getting tossed. You've made it. You've made it. <laughs> yeah. And oh. of course, I mean, the, the term DP, double entange, director of photography, double penetration, the jokes <laughs> were flying. Um, yeah, they're all over. And even like occasionally, like, like sort of the... Uh, the celebrity writers and the celebrity directors who were then as soon as they got a little bit of heat or they got, we even have like, you know, the school has its own little reward awards show. So the whole thing is this really incestuous. uh, I never once went to the Evies. No, I went one year and it was like, um, it was, it was half. I shouldn't talk bad about the school that employs me, but, (laughs) but it was half full. The audience was half full. But the camera work was so lush and made it look like it was the biggest deal on the planet. They look those old shows, though. I've seen one. I saw one in my video field production class, and I was pretty, pretty impressed. Yeah, because it's like Emmys. It's not it's not about um, the school owns a theater. They own like a state like one of Boston's like historical stage theaters. And they put on this thing called the Evies, this awards show, which does award, you know, filmmakers and and media makers um, that submitted at the school but really that's not why it exists it exists so that the tv and video students can learn how to put on a live television broadcast um and they do it they do do a damn good job and it's one of those really good job it's one of those things the the school can really sell yeah so so that's why you know at the beginning here we talked about i made fun of you for being like quote unquote a producer and i think Uh that i think fps is where that first started wasn't it yeah I did a really good job. That's the thing. Like I, I just got hired as an associate producer, and I I got free food and beverages. Yeah, and- I, I used to like, uh, you know, we would work like uh, different shifts at IT, and sometimes like you know, I lived on campus at one point, and so we would hang out like during each other's shifts with one another. And yeah. I would always you were you always had like a giant stack of papers, and you were always like, "There's so much going on," and I. <laughs> and I Crisis, Frankie. So I'd be like, what's what's happening? And you were like, well, I'm a producer, you see. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, so what does a producer do? And you were like, uh, well, I got $300 worth of Stop and Shop and $300 worth of Starbucks. And I was like, that's cool. Who are you feeding? And you're like, the 80 people required to be part of this production. <laughs> All the 70 people sitting in the cold outside of an apartment in Brookline. <laughs> One thing that was cool, though, is... Um, uh, again, I mean, like the, the, this school in particular, Emerson has, has always kind of had a, or the last few years have had a problem with, you know, do we have our students shoot on film? Do we require our students to shoot on film or do we ask, you know, do we allow them to shoot on video if they want to? Because NYU, UCLA, USC, I think even Columbia, most of these major film schools are still kind of like a, we are narrative fiction filmmakers who shoot on 16 millimeter negative, you know, still. All of them? I think so. I, I might be talking out of school, but I, I, I believe that they're still kind of like they are good. They are strong, focused film schools. And this place is a little bit more loosey-goosey in terms of like we're also new media and we also do a little narrative, you know, uh, uh, interactive narrative and whatnot and web. Emerson's more realistic. 
Yeah, I think so. And 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 it breeds um it breeds a more diverse body of work, but it also like the the movies that we make aren't as good. No, not at all. Like if you look at the MFAs that come out of like Columbia or come out of NY- at NYU Tisch, I mean they're mm-hmm. they're they're they're, oh, they're ready for dist- they're short films that are they're, ready for they're distribution. They're real movies. They're real yeah. movies, yeah. Um, I saw, granted, I don't like any of them, no. but, but they're good. Who likes student films? I was shown, I was in my workshop class once and they showed, they were like, let's see how we measure up against these movies. And they popped in a best of from Tish one year. And one of them was this, like, um, this, this like very quiet tale of like these two Eskimo men, like one kills the other out on the ice <laughs> and there's like all these dogs around them. And it's like really well shot, like during like the, uh, uh, the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> it was the whole thing was just like Aurora Borealis. <laughs> you're, all you can think of is the Simpsons. Um, <laughs> so in any event, that was that, that, that's kind of what we were. But I, I found that interesting. You were like, I'm a producer. And I was like, oh, I guess I guess it takes all types. You know, I guess she wants to be a producer. But it was really kind of that was more you trying, I think, trying to find a place because yeah. all, all the other stuff was taken up. Well, I mean, first of all, when all the other stuff is taken up, it's not like you settle for being a producer. That's kind of like the the jewel in the crown. You think so? It? Well, I mean, for girls, it is. Okay, so that's so that's an interesting point because I besides, I, besides you know, obviously director, screenwriter, everyone wants to do that, but it's it's a different thing. Like, oh my god, I landed the produce. Like, I'm an associate producer. I'm not a production assistant, or I'm not like. Well, that's why if, that's why that's why if you want to be a director writer, you got to be like me and pilot your own pirate ship. Not everyone's you, Frankie. Well, pfft. but the thing is, like, I wasn't like score. I'm a producer, but I was like, oh wow, these people are really trusting me with a lot of responsibility. Like, this is cool. I, it, it, ha- it you're right. It did kind of just happen. Like, I wasn't like going for it. But when I did it the first year, with well, the first time I did it, I realized how much I got out of it. Like, I got to know everyone. And, and I'm also on set when everyone's doing their work and I have nothing to do. So I'm schmoozing with everybody, meeting people. Um, so I, that's what do you, I can see Frankie, by the way. Why are you smiling? <laughs> I don't know, because, you know, you get that guy to DP your project, maybe the cel- celebrity DPs. Yeah, he, he double penetrated me. No, I mean, there was, there, there's validity to um, to wanting to meet film students. If I hadn't, I wouldn't have been yeah, able to. The thing is, it, this wasn't even like me trying to, you know, make uh, connections and try to climb the ladder. I just wanted to meet people. Be involved. Like that. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just busting your balls, but here's what I will say. You can bust. <laughs> here's what I will say. I think that the first sign of bullshit, <laughs> if you're, if you're looking at um, a student production that actually yeah. wants to be good and get done and have a little heart and a little passion in it. The first yeah. sign of bullshit is when it's like, we have a producer yeah, no, you're. I totally agree. I completely agree. And I actually thought that when they they announced me producer. Yeah. But then I was like, oh wait, but this is FPS. Like they have a budget. Yeah, they have yeah. to go to school, so that's fine. But after I did FPS, and then some of the hot shot film students came to me independently. That's when I started to kind of. Oh, are you going to call me your executive producer now, or like your producer? And then like. I didn't like that the, the the side projects had to be official like that. Yes. Because it was like – because I, I have the same mindset as you. Like this is film school. I don't really understand um, – Like you what? have so little resources and so little 
energy, like you need to cling on to as much energy as possible when you're creating a student film. Why waste any time on like, that's not my job. That's the DP's job. Yeah. Or that's the, the it's, AP's it, job. And it, that's, that it's just stupid. And it's just like a way of feeling self-important and I'm doing this the correct way. Like, no, you're not. Nobody's going to watch this thing anyway. Exactly. Like, why don't you just put as much time and effort as, po- as possible into making it good? Like you do, Frankie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it, it's putting, it's placing too much focus on things that won't end up on the screen. It's, but then you have to remember, these are young people who are stupid. Well, look, and that's... Just one of them. And, you know, just trying to find your way, trying to figure it out. Like, if, if all these kids who I made films with at Emerson, if we all got shipped back in the DeLorean now mm-hmm. and, like, had to do this again, we would be like, fuck that. I'll – I'm not – don't call me producer. Like, let's you just – You are wrong, though, because I, I, I gallivant with, um, with people my age uh, to this day who, who want to make movies, and it's, it really is the same thing. Uh, and, and, and people much older, in Wait, fact. It's the same thing now when you're older? What yeah, and, a lot, and and actually, the, I, I've there's like a few like Boston-based filmmakers who like one guy in particular who acted in Abo, and he was like yeah. he, he was like you know I'm actually also a, a director producer uh, airline pilot, and I was Wait, like is he the bald guy? No, he played the cop. And oh, okay. There have been a number of times where I've run into him on campus. He went to grad school here for like a year, and I think yeah. to this day he tries to get into the buildings, and I think every now and then he works out in the gym. So I always. Oh my God. I always see him when he's like kind of sweaty and he's wait, like, wait, does he, I'm sorry to interrupt, but wait, he goes to the gym like illegally. I think so. Ooh. So he, he, uh, <laughs> and every time the security, the security guards give him trouble, he's like, you know, I paid so much money to go to school here for like a year. <laughs> no. you know, I could get behind that. That but, school is ridiculously expensive. But he, um, I have run into him a number of times and he's always been like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm raising $40,000 right now, $100,000 to do this new thing and that, this, that, and the other. And he's real focused on these roles and shit. And every time I talk to anybody who's real focused on role-based filmmaking, I always realize that they don't really know how to make a movie. Like, they, like technically, they don't know, oh, okay. they don't understand the mechanics. They don't really have good experience doing it. They, all they really know is what you're supposed to do, and they're kind of going through the motions. And I mean, I, I have a job and I understand the importance of division of labor to make sure that like every area of a project gets accomplished, but in a low budget, no money situation, it's kind of, I, I, I use the word family, not ironically. I think it needs to be a family situation. Yeah. So, well, um, and that's all of your productions have been too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I try to, you know, when we introduce new people, I, I like to kind of really bring them into the fold and whatnot. So I wouldn't, you know, if, if you are young and listening to this, um, don't get, please, please, please don't get hung up on things that don't go up on the screen. Like, um, like how you look to everybody who's watching you make the movie. I mean, that's just the most ridiculous thing you could do. What to spend time on? Like, I don't want to be a dick on set. Yeah, or or more accurately, like, um, well, you know, like if we were good to our crew, we would feed them three times a day, and blah blah. They start to try to almost operate like a union and shit, and I'm just like, look, like you can ask people to bring lunches, they, like every job does. I mean, you can make an effort and make sure people see that you're making an effort, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't get to the point where your the people who've agreed to help you on the film are actually giving you an attitude because you don't have, yeah, bagels. I mean, Nina cooks for us always, but um. Actually, more often we do little like like Tupperwares of snacks so that we kind of kind of just all eat like dolphins all day, and that actually so that you <laughs> don't nice. you don't stop. Um, that seems to work a lot better. But um, I don't know. I like to the people that I after having a disastrous first movie, 
with bad attitudes. I, I don't, I'm very cautious to let anybody work on my stuff. That's not full in. Oh, are you talking about 10 pounds? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I don't want to run out of time, uh, for talking about when you go. So talk about going to LA after graduation. And then I really want to get into Norway. Okay. Um, um, where did we leave off? Oh, it was just FPS. Yeah. Yeah, You're doing, you're doing projects. You're doing your thing. You make a couple of your own projects. Yeah. I make a couple of my own. Um, then I decide to go to LA. I didn't do the program in LA though, uh, cause of the math, <laughs> but I, I ended up moving to LA in, in September, 2008. And I got a lot of interviews the first three months, mm. like a lot. What like, kind of, what I, kind I of jobs? To, I'm sorry. What kind of jobs? You know, assistant positions. Like I went to I Julia Roberts, uh, producer, um, a couple of post-production houses like the White House. I actually got that job, um, but I, I did apply to a lot. I got a lot of interviews, but it was just really difficult. Like I had no idea how difficult it was going to be. And I was pretty confident, and I'm, I'm really good with people. I'm good at interviews, but you kind of really have to know people. It's just – that's just how it is. Like yeah. you kind of need to have a connection if you want to get a good job right away. Like I, I had an interview at Participant Media, and – well, I did a phone interview, and this is a place I would kill to work at. Like, have you heard of Participant Media? No, describe it. They, um, they, they've done some fiction. They've done a lot of documentaries. It's a big. It's it's huge. They they've won several Academy Awards, and they were like, "Oh, you sound perfect for this job. We should totally give you this job. You should come and meet us." And and they call me an hour later, like, "Oh, sorry, somebody else already got the job." Mm. And the woman, the HR woman, didn't even know. But I think it was like the nephew of some exec. And Somebody's just, buddy, like, yeah. Yeah. So I just I got really discouraged. I I learned a lot in LA, and I did work on a lot of different things. Um, but I realized I I would have to be an assistant for like five to ten years before I'd really because I would try to write, and I I wasn't. I wasn't really in a good place because I was so nervous about money. I started working at Sprinkles Cupcakes in Beverly Hills. And it was just kind of like the classic, I'm just going to wait tables for a month and then get myself back up on my feet. And then all of a sudden, you're 40 and you're lunch lady Doris. <laughs> if you were going to work at any cupcake place, though, at least you worked for the like the highest scale cupcake place in the world. Didn't they deliver all the time to the to the VIPs of La La Wood? Oh, the VIPs. Like uh, Streisand, DeVito, Hasselhoff. <laughs> no, they, it was. But the thing is, I didn't work in the actual store. This is the bad thing. I worked in the office. Like I was one of the office people, so I could. And the office is in the same place where they make all the batter and frosting. So I could just go to work in my fucking pajamas oh, and wow. eat frosting and sit with a headset on all day just be like thank you for calling sprinkles this is karen how can i help you and be like babber streisand's nephews bad mitzvah and we need you know and i just like sit there and just put in order after order after order for like not just high scale also you know regular parties regular people parties but um it, it was really interesting but i also got yelled at all the time like assistants freaking out yeah uh, it's some really crazy situations like uh, David Geffen's about to get on an airplane and he just screamed that he wanted five red velvets and we don't know what to do. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Well, fuck me so sideways. Like, well, job. I was like, this sounds like it's your job yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And it, 
but I mean that I really learned a lot about Hollywood just working in that office, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to settle for the cupcake job, you, you shouldn't have to deal with that kind of stress. And yet it was almost like working for a studio. It, it, it really was. Yeah. It really, really was. So, um, but I got, I got to meet a lot of people through it. Like I actually kind of got buddy, buddy with Pamela Hayden from the Simpsons mm. on the phone. Uh, nothing came of it, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. I mean, I bet you, I bet when you were a kid watching The Simpsons, huh? you didn't think you'd be buddy buddy with Pamela Hayden. No, never. So how cool is that? It was pretty awesome. I mean, it didn't really fix any of my life problems, but uh, it made me feel good <laughs> for five minutes. Meeting a celebrity always fixes life problems. <laughs> it does. Like when you met Jason Muse. <laughs> yeah, it changed everything. Um, so, so you. Uh, at one point you're like, all right, this enough is enough for me. Um, you had sort, I, I feel like almost, a the kind of revelation I had, which was, this isn't the only geographic place that I could possibly make movies. No, not at all. The thing is I, I set my standards too high and I was like, everyone's, everyone I met at school is going to, you know, LA and so many people are making it. Why can't I, I'm bilingual and smart and you know, all this stuff. I thought, I really thought I was going to be able to do what I've seen very few other people did. It's always when you're in the situation, you feel like everyone's making it but you. But now when I look back, so many people that both you and I know struggled and are still struggling. But who's to, say, who's to say that L.A. is a high standard? You what know? do you mean? Did well, I say it was a high standard? You said you were yeah. setting your standards it's, too high. It's like the that's like the place. Right. It, traditionally, it is. But I think that that I think the paradigm is changing. Well, I mean, I guess New York, it's much more impressive to make it there than L.A., obviously. Well, what I'm but. saying is I think you can make a, I, you know, there was one of my favorite quotes uh, to get a little corny was from uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It was in the, you know, that Hearts of Darkness documentary on Apocalypse Now. And he was like this. So this was 70s. And he was like, you know, with with video coming along eventually like this art form is going to be liberated because a fat girl from Oklahoma is going to be able to make a, a movie in her backyard and it's going to be brilliant. He said fat girl in Oklahoma. Yeah, he said fat girl in Oklahoma or something, you know, fat girl in Ohio or something like that. And I was, it, it, Oh, Francis. It's a, it's sort it's a, it's a comical statement, but I think that it's actually really very true. And I mean, the fact that like when I left LA, I came back here and I made the film that has been more successful by far than anything else that I've made. And, it doesn't really, you know, I was in a documentary that was, that premiered at South by Southwest and all these, these kinds of things happened and LA yeah. had nothing to do with it. It was just make work because you can easily ship it across. The, there, we have a postal system and we have the internet. Like you'd really don't need. Well, I totally see what you're saying. And I, 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 I've thought the same exact thing, but it's more just like a general, um, sense of, of accomplishment. Yes. So it's not focused on actual results. It's focused on the way you feel about yourself, which is, yes, yes, which is, which is a lot more argue against that, which is a lot, which is a lot like the catering on the FPS productions. (laughs) True. It's trying to make yourself feel like a real filmmaker and not concerned about making a good movie. Yes. For people like me, it, it kind of works because you know, I need reassurance and I'm an insecure person. I'm working on that about myself. I wasn't necessarily in LA pushing my screenplay around, you know, like I wasn't there. I was more just like, I need to find out if I can work with people like this. Mm. I need to find out if I can be in an environment like this, which I did find out I could, but I just realized it was really hard. But the thing is like, if I was much more, if I was more motivated in terms of art and my own vision, I could have done that anywhere too. And that's actually 
why I'm in Norway now and why it's going so much better because I realized this about myself. Beautiful segue. So you go back to Norway and um, you, you straight up work in the film market. I mean, you are, to- you have an amazing job, I think. So talk about, talk about sort of how you started out and how you got to this point. Well, I, I came back to Norway mm, last May and I was really tired because I had just broken up with my boyfriend and moved all my stuff and kind of like said goodbye to America temporarily. But for me, this is like the biggest break I've had from America in 10 years. Mm. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I had my resume from LA and everyone here is just like, ooh, wow, Hollywood. So that kind of helped. But um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. But then I ended up uh, deciding to just move to Oslo where some of my childhood friends live. They're like, there's a room in this apartment. I was like, starting over is great. This is not scary at all. Mm. And I moved to Oslo. And coincidentally, the day I moved to Oslo, I get a phone call from this guy who worked as an intern for my mom's old office like 15 years ago. He was like, hey, I heard you're, you're back. Um, I work in a film production office. Do you want a job? And I said, okay. And it was just a temporary job. Uh, there was this big premiere for a, a major motion picture, a Norwegian motion picture, and he wanted me to help him organize just the practical stuff, like all the guest lists and transportation. And, you know, it was another producing job, basically, for an event. And I just ended up doing that, and it went really well, but I got to know everyone in the film industry through this job because I was the girl who sat on all the tickets and all the invites to this big party. So I basically milked it for what it was worth, and I just talk to everyone kind of like what I did on that first FPS set Mm. I just was like I'm turning on the charm and I'm gonna walk around and just you know so you took a little LA the LA education and brought it to Norway yeah but I already had that in me I'm I'm very good at at schmoozing if I will say that then that's one thing I'm good at and so basically I managed to become friends with the director of the film and I was like hey I want to be a writer would you ever want to like drink a cup of coffee, whatnot? And this guy's pretty big. Like he's directed television and films and everyone knows who he is. And, uh, it was funny. Cause like after the movie, after the premiere it was done, everything, I never heard from him. And then one day I was like drunk out on the town and I accidentally pocket dialed him. And, uh, that's what made him contact me. He sent me a text. I just hung up like, Oh my God, I just called that director. And I just hung up and I just tried to forget about it. But the next day he sent me a text. He's like, hey, did you pocket dial me? It's funny because I was thinking about you and I wanted to see if you wanted to help me with my script. And I said, okay. He sends me over a treatment. And I basically just decided, okay, this is my chance. I'm going to be brutally honest and tell him what I think. And I told him what I thought. And he was like, oh, my God, you just made me rethink my entire project. And he basically just started sending me everything he wrote from then on. And I helped him reshape this entire film. And um, it's not being made yet, but it's it's in the works. Uh, all the big Norwegian movie stars are uh, tied into this project. It's like a multi-million kroner production. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, and he, he said, you know, if I, I wouldn't have been able to do this, if it wasn't for you, word got around and I started to be contacted by other, uh, directors, like well-renowned, is that the right word? Well-renowned? Well-renowned, yep. Well-renowned. My, my English isn't on top. Um, 
And I, yeah, started uh, taking on assignments, you know, just like being like a script doctor, also helping them develop their characters and reading books and doing research. And uh, so I've done that for a bunch of different directors now, and it's great. And um, I actually just recently got contacted by one of the biggest uh, television channels in Norway. And they said, oh, we've heard about you. Do you want to, are you interested in doing TV? I said, yes, I'm, I was TV video at Emerson College. So that's fantastic. So I, that, I, that just happened to me three days ago. What, um, what projects can, like what films can people see that you've worked on? Well, none of them are out yet. Um, You cited a few for me. Ones that that I've been working. Well, the ones that I showed you are probably the ones that I like did the premieres on. Cause I've also mm. organized four premieres oh, where okay. I'm like in charge of, of the entire event. So that's like baby call and, uh, King curling. Um, yeah, it, nobody's going to know what they are, but just Google me and maybe it'll come you up. You torrent them. I torrented them. Um, you did? I did. Yeah. I successfully. But you did baby call too. Yeah. They, they even had subs. Did you like it? I didn't watch it. You did. <laughs> it 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 does the trick that you just bothered to do that makes me happy. It's kind of it's in the queue, you know. Creatively to do with those pictures, just so you know. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I guess being brutally honest with the guy was one of the things that made a lot of the difference. Yeah, I, it's crazy how easy it is. As opposed to being a yes person or or kissing up. Um, yeah. That's somebody who's obviously focused on making a good movie and is looking for input, not bullshit. Exactly. And it was really refreshing because of the people I worked with in L.A. a lot. It's you think that you have this like set idea of a Hollywood producer and then you're like, no, that's just that's just in the movies. Like yeah. they're not going to be like that's that. a cartoony yeah. caricature. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly. And it's like that's that's how many of them are. It's crazy. Um, tell me this. How, how, can this business again because you fucked up their coffee or something. <laughs> it's so so is is American media still uh, chief? Yeah, you know, the, the 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 primary media in Norway, or is the is is Norway's film market kind of growing? It's growing, but I mean, the primary is still American. Uh, it's American British. Uh, the Swedes and the Danes are much better than us. So that's basically how I've I've been selling myself since I don't really have a title yet here. Uh, there isn't really a, a job that you can apply for that would be what I do. So mm. I basically just have been walking around. Screaming at people, this is why we're not as good as the Swedes and the Danes. This is what we need to do in order to be as good as the Swedes and the Danes. We need to work on scripts. We need to make sure that scripts are flawless before they're, they get put into production because what, what's a- nobody takes any time to go through these scripts. You just got a screenwriter sitting there with their own idea and they get a producer and the producer skims through it and then it's like, hey, this is good enough. And they get money because it's state funded. It's government funded. What's so great about the Swedes and the Danes? They just do it better. They have better films? They have lots of films? Better and more. Mm. I mean, maybe not more. Right now we're making a lot. But I feel they just really, they commit to their characters more. And they they spend a lot more time finessing the the fiction. And the general, I don't know, just, they, they just, there aren't as many holes in the stories. There aren't as many, um, I don't know just it, it just works better they just work they they spend more time developing things and it's much more subtle one thing i hate and this isn't just norwegian film but all film that does this is 
is revealing information through dialogue is mm. like the most annoying thing ever. Explicit expository writing. Yeah. It basically just like, Oh, show don't tell. Like they don't really do that. Yeah. And it's very, it's very frustrating. On our other podcast, we, uh, we were laughing at a Danish soap opera called, um, uh, Basic. I don't remember what it was called actually, but it was about it was it was a soap opera starring Down syndrome people. <laughs> it, was, it was called Downesty. It was um, Danish. That, of course, you'd find that Dane syndrome. <laughs> You're a uh, oh! I wish I could have been there. But it was uh, it was. Was it you and Aaron? Yes, you can listen to the episode. Um, it, it, it's, uh, you tell me that they make some of the best films in, uh, in Europe. I mean, come on. America makes some of the best films. You also make some of the worst crap ever to have been crapped by anything. Look, I only, I only know Downesty. Okay. That's all I got. Okay. Well, <laughs> I can search and then get back to me. Okay. Um, and finally, uh, uh, how, how, how is the film industry financed? Is it government like you would expect? Yeah. Yeah. We got... We got mad oil. That's my it, my vision of Norway. When like I think about Norway, I think of beautiful mountains, hot chick, hot blonde chicks, and like lots of oil money that no one's really bothering to try to get in on. Uh, people try to get in on it. But really, the thing is, we get in on it. Um, it's all internal. It's it's just there's just money everywhere here. Didn't, I mean, it's not like they're throwing it out of car windows, but it's. Uh, didn't it's they not, help? Didn't they help you out with college tuition? Yeah, totally. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone to Emerson if it wasn't for the Norwegian government. Yeah. And yeah. does that work? I mean, ha, does that work out okay, or is that uh, d- does that pose censorship problems, or you know, no, nothing? They're just like, hey, you're a citizen. There's only four million of you, and there's a quadrillion pieces of money from the oil. <laughs> so it basically works on the because of the good consciences of the people. In in government, in seats of government. Yeah, socialism, man. I mean, it doesn't really work here is the thing. Yeah. No, I mean, hopefully it will one day. Um, but it's awesome. It's great. Like, I, I broke my foot this summer. And I, I was in the hospital for a week. I got all kinds of treatment afterwards. I didn't pay a thing. I didn't pay anything. I don't have any insurance. I have nothing. I'm just a citizen. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I I really don't know how that's sustainable unless you have yeah a small population, lots of money. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's, RP, it it's, it's is it a, it's a democracy though, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a socialist democracy. Exactly. Karen Ray Notstein, uh, somebody near and dear to my heart, um, who uh, who I've known for a little while now, and um, and we always we always have interesting things to say to one another. I wanted to get her on here because. Um, I don't know anybody else working in the Norwegian film industry, do you? <laughs> so, um, but this ended up being yet another brilliant conversation about uh, douchey film kids, and I'm sure we revealed ourselves to be just one other flavor of douchey film kid. And we should have gotten deeper into that. We have so many <laughs> funny stories. We got a lot of funny stories. We could always do a part two. I'm always well, open to that. Let's do a part two once I'm more established. Okay. Okay. Then right. I'll have because right now it's just kind of like, hey, I'm trying to make it, and I'm kind of doing it. All of our guests are like that. As a matter of fact, one of um one of the guys who uh, came on who was doing he you know it's a two parter with Neil Murphy about uh, fil- uh, film festivals. He was like, you know, I love this podcast because 
Um, I don't really, I can't really get good information or good advice from somebody who's already super successful and well-established because a lot of things don't apply. There might've been a lot of luck involved. They, they might've been successful 10 years ago and things have changed. So he's like, it, for him, it's, it's more useful to listen to people who have, yeah, maybe gone to school, maybe are doing, you know, interesting different things here and there and kind of collecting all that information and turning it into some useful advice. So this is really for, I hope, I hope that, um, that people that are that want to start just making their own movie, picking up a camera, making their own movie or listening to this and not necessarily people looking to make a billion bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who thinks that just forget it. Yeah. Um, just forget it. I'll say one thing for all you film students out there, be careful with the partying, do as much extracurricular stuff as you can. When you're in school, um, go to class. I know this sounds like, every single bitter washed up person would say, but like, it's really, it's important. Just go, go and do stuff when you're in school. Cause you're paying a lot of money or your parents are paying a lot of money. And there is actually so much cool stuff you can do at Emerson and you can go and take classes at different schools. You can even get into Harvard, you know, aren't there like night classes at Harvard? I, you believe, can take? Uh, I don't know if there's Harvard, but definitely mass art. Definitely. Um, yeah, there's a number of schools. Um, that's yeah. in the, that's in the Emerson case. This, this, this could be for anybody. This could be for a, any film student. Yeah, just do do everything and go to every seminar. Uh, I only saw David Lynch and I left halfway through because he wasn't talking about Twin Peaks. He was talking about Transcendental Meditation. Yeah, exactly. Were you at that? No, I, I heard that that was the issue. Although now I've gotten into TM a little bit. <laughs> yeah? Maybe just a little. I'll talk about that some other time. But uh, okay. do what Karin says, folks. Give a hoot. Don't pollute. Um, yeah. Say no to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and, and yeah, and stay away from Northeastern keg parties, please. They destroyed Karin's little life. No, they didn't. They they just made it harder. She would have passed math so much quicker had it not I've been for that passed. one kegger. <laughs> <laughs> that one infamous kegger. Um, all right, Karin, thank you for doing this. I always love talking to you. You know that. I love I love talking to you too. And we shall do this again. All right, we'll talk to you. Okay. Bye. <laughs>